These are my favorite kind of champagne flutes. I love them so much. It's called a coupe glass. Little bit of made-up history for you. Thank you. I want it. People said that this glass was designed to be the same shape as Marie Antoinette's breast. Mm. And that's why it is the way it is. Well, it was a very pert breast. I know. Can't believe she had four kids. When do you think they designed it? Before <laughs> or after she was... Probably when she was 14. Right? <laughs> when she originally got married. Yeah. Probably Ew. when she was 14. That sucks. Hi, I'm Isabel. I'm Morgan. And this is Womance. A podcast about romance novels. About ghosts. About blood. About creaky old houses. About dresses. About bad moms. About teens. What are they into? (laughs) Who do they like? It's about feelings. It's about sushi. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's about killing ghosts. Yeah, killing one is already dead. Mm -hmm. Murder. Most foul. But most of all, it's about the first thing. Romance novels. And it's also about ourselves. This week on the podcast, we're talking about Anna Dressed in Blood by Ken Dare Blake. All right. According to Cassandra Clare, it is spellbinding and romantic. Wow. Mm. I picked this one. You did. Which means you have to do the summary. Sure do. Brief synopsis, folks. We've got Theseus Theseus Cassio, a.k.a. Cass, who has taken up the mantle of ghost hunter and killer. It's his birthright gifted to him by his father. The book opens on a scene where he is putting a ghost down, which is both very visceral and sad at once. And then we move with Cass and his mother because his dad's dead. We move to Thunder Bay, Canada, which I was super stoked about. I want to get back (laughs) onto my tangent about Thunder Bay, Canada later. They was in Canada? Yeah, Thunder Bay. I had no idea there was in Canada. Oh my God, yeah. We'll come back to that. I think the Canadian-ness of this book is really really interesting Mm. Um, so they move to Canada because Cass has gotten a lead on a ghost that he has to kill because ghosts in this world sometimes take corporeal form and murder so then the missing persons list or like other dead bodies show up and they haven't been killed by human hands they've been killed by these specters that rage and murder which was really interesting to me it was sort of like the sixth sense taking two steps further because those ghosts are just really scary. They don't kill you, but there's a feeling that they could. And in this book, these ghosts definitely kill you. So he's on this like birthright quest to kill ghosts that kill people. So that's cool. Gets to Thunder Bay, meets up with a bunch of people. Other teens. Other teens. Fellow teens. He's a senior in high school. So there's that. And like pretty much on his first day, he's invited to what is essentially like the first kegger of the season. The cool kids party. Yeah, because he's found the queen bee and he's inserted himself into her little circle. Ah! Her name's Did Carmel. Did you do that on purpose? <laughs> I'm so good at this. So he shows up at this kegger at the falls. Again, Thunder Bay geography littered all over this text. And the high school jocks who play American football, which is weird, are upset that this new interloper who's very handsome, but we only really get that later because it's told in first person. And they're like, hey, what are you doing with Carmel? And Carmel's like, leave him alone. And he's like, oh, I heard there were some ghost stories last year. And then they're like, oh, you want some ghost stories? We'll take you to some ghost stories. And then they go to this really scary house. First, they tell him a shitty Sasquatch story. Yeah, which he's like, that's stupid because he knows. And then they take him to this ramshackle old house on the edge of town. And then they knock him unconscious with a plank that they've pulled up from the porch of this old Victorian. They bash him on the head, throw him in the house where he's left unconscious. Where he wanted to go the whole time anyway, so joke's on them. Because this is where the ghost is. And then they leave him in there, and then they're worried that they've accidentally killed him. And then Anna, dressed in blood, the titular ghost, shows up, (laughs) and the rest of the story takes place there. She fucking murders one of the teens immediately, but not Cass. No, Cass is saved by weird kid Thomas. And he's special because Anna doesn't want to kill him. 
Yeah, she's not forced to kill him by whatever is forcing her to be a murderous ghost. Yeah, yeah. So how is that? You know, like that tight summary. It takes us right up through the action. Well, I think you need to point out something. Should we go through the whole thing? Oh, okay. Basically, Thomas and Cass. And Carmel and Will, one of the survivors... Of the initial murder. Yeah, one of the jock survivors form a mystery team. Mm-hmm. Not unlike Buffy and the Scoobies. Mm-hmm. And Cass falls in love with Anna dressed in blood. He keeps going to her house. She keeps not killing him. And he gets her whole sad tale. Her whole sad tale turns out... Do we want to give that away already? No. Okay. Gets the whole sad tale. And then Cass forms what is essentially a Wiccan circle with the teens to <laughs> trap Anna dressed in blood and to kill her because she killed Mike at the initial thing and she's been killing people for 50 years and she's a bad ghost but then Cass feels very conflicted because he's fallen in love with her and then they get her sad tale of woe which is truly traumatic and then he feels even worse about trying to kill her but then other teen Will Rosenberg is like fuck you Mike is dead and you won't even do your job of killing ghosts and steals the birthright dagger that Cass has had from his father that kills ghosts. Yeah. And he's like, I'm gonna kill her. And then there's a scuffle over the knife. He stabs Anna and like stuff starts like ghosting out of her. And then he runs away with the knife. And then it's like tragedy and all this stuff. And then they have to get the knife back. But when they hatch a plan to get the knife back from stupid Will Rosenberg, they go to his house and... He and his friend Chase have been brutally murdered already and they've been bitten just like Cass's father was by the ghost that murdered him. Pieces of them are like massive pieces of like their legs all the way down to the bone are gone. It's a lot. And then we find out that Anna dressed in blood isn't the big bad. It's this other ghost that we only really meet at the very, very end. It's like a reverse Ducius Machia. Yeah, well, I guess we kind of have shades of him mm-hmm. throughout the book because of his magical cat who can detect ghosts. That's one of my problems with this book, frankly. This is the cat. We'll get into it. Good, I want to. Cat problems cat. with Isabel. <laughs> it's a podcast within a podcast. So where do you want to jump in? Boy. First of all, why'd you choose this book? Yeah, I think that's where we should start. It's not a traditional romance for us. No, I wanted to read a spooky romance. It's October, folks. I'm in a spooky mood. Spooktober. I don't know about you, but I'm in a mood for spooks. Spook. I love October. As a Libra, I I feel deeply understood by this month. Halloween's my favorite holiday. It's a great holiday. I love scary movies. Scary movies are scary. I love scary books. Mm. Real quick... What's your favorite scary book? Did you read a lot of scary books growing up? Here's the thing, folks. Old Isabeau has big feelings. <laughs> Soft, gentle, 15-year-old Isabeau. Did you? I feel fear extremely viscerally. And like, so when I saw The Mummy with Brendan Fraser, which is the only mummy ever come at me, the skeleton terrified me. And like, even to this day, like maybe even a better example. So like, you know, the nothing and the never ending story. I couldn't shower after watching the never ending story alone with like the bathroom door shut because I was convinced that the nothing was going to come and erase me. Uh So I had to have the bathroom door open and like the shower curtain open, just getting water everywhere. Cause like I had to know that other people could see see me otherwise I would be erased so scary movies imprint on me and then stay in my psyche for a really long time and I can't erase the images same for me except I enjoy that (laughs) and I think that's the difference there are people who are like fuck I don't care awesome no but I think the majority of us they imprint on us deeply and it's just how you perceive that feeling oh my god I mean it is it is scary it is stressful but it's uh, a little bit pleasurable and I think like this book is a really excellent tour de force in that department because all of the pleasures that I felt were of like the spine tingling kind and I'll draw a distinction like I prefer ghost stories to like gore stories so like if I have to watch a scary movie I don't want to watch like The Strangers or like Saw I would prefer to watch something like The Awakening or Rosemary's Baby The Strangers isn't very gory it's too terrifying for me to handle like it is so scary Liv Tyler just like is so caught up by the end yeah yeah and like nothing really happens it's just terrifying it's just very scary 
Yeah, I hate it. So I like it to have a mysterious aspect, like where like a ghost can either be like redeemed or let go. The Sixth Sense is like a perfect scary movie for me. Like that's just the right amount of boo. Any more than that, and I won't be able to sleep for six days. And I don't like that. So did you have a scary book that you enjoyed in your life? One that I tortured myself with? Yeah. Sure. That really scary book in elementary school, like Tales to Tell in the Dark or whatever. Oh, that's a good one. Oh God, those covers, those illustrations, that shit stays with you. Yeah. Yeah. Mine was Wait Till Helen Comes. What the fuck is that? Oh my God. That sounds really scary. It is scary. It's a book for children. Oh God. There always are like goosebumps. <laughs> like I love Are You Afraid of the Dark? I thought that yeah. was a great show. It was really fun. Uh, Wait Till Helen Comes is about a girl who moves into a house and the house is haunted and her younger sibling or something is always like, wait till Helen comes. Mm. And turns out Helen is the ghost of a little girl who drowned in the pond, a little Victorian girl. They're always so scary. Victorians are the scariest ones. They are. They're so mad and repressed. I know. Give me a ghost from pre-modern history. Pre-World War II for me, thanks. Yeah, agree. Somebody said this recently. Like, I watched a stand-up comedian where it's like, I'm into ghost stories, except like, I don't want to deal with ghosts that are modern. It's like, bitch, what'd you say about me on my Twitter? And I'm like, that's right. It would be really weird to be like, surrounded by ghosts that are like upset about Instagram. Who have the same references as you? Yeah, I don't want that. I want my ghosts to be old. I want them to be wearing petticoats, preferably, or like Uh waistcoats if not petticoats, maybe have monocles. Thank you for being gender inclusive there. Thank you. You know, I just don't want them to be too modern. Maybe if they've never seen a television, that would be good. Here's the thing. Why are we scared of ghosts? Why are we scared or why aren't we? Why are we scared of ghosts? Why is the idea of a ghost scary? Because really, like, this book raises the stakes and is like, a ghost can kill you. Yeah. But most of the time, at worst, a ghost just gives you a little scare. Or wages psychological warfare. Right. But I think was it Freud who like encountered this question of like why is a ghost scary because a ghost doesn't really have any bearing on our world and a ghost only affects us insofar as like we allow it to affect us Mm -hmm. so why are we scared of ghosts I think it's part of like the eternal question of being a mortal creature right so it's like what's the beyond yeah so then ghosts are like deeply attractive to us because they're part of our world but also not I think because they show that there's an afterlife but then it's also kind of like a bummer because the afterlife life is just hanging out in this old fucking house or it's like they trying to shake a cupboard enough to startle a child right but like they haven't they can't even go to the afterlife which i think is like a recurring theme in ghost stories like there's something keeping them here and they don't actually even know what's on the other side because they haven't made it yet yeah which is like deeply affecting about this book but also i think like that was one of the most affecting parts of the sixth sense yeah where are they sending them yeah and like the fact that you could encounter an immortal being that used to be mortal that's still doesn't know what's on the other side I think that's a weird thing that like part of ghost stories that we like create why is that scary because like what if there is nothing that's scary isn't it I I think think that's like eternally scary but I think like the idea of the sixth sense is like even nothing is better than just being tortured repetition yeah and I think like this book is dealing on that level too because like the ghosts are just constantly reliving their trauma and like that was really really affecting about this book yeah yeah exactly the murder ghosts are all just trying to get revenge they're all just like pissed and they're like what the hell I'm dead yeah like I got murdered yeah fuck (laughs) let's murder others I'm gonna murder back I'm gonna murder back Anna's conditions are a little bit different different but she's also super powerful yep she's the most powerful specter maybe in North America in North America Thunder Bay y'all in Canada no less we couldn't pull it off America also New Orleans like I don't accept that Anna dressed in blood is the most powerful well it turns out she actually wasn't yeah it was the ghost from New Orleans that was the most powerful one I know which makes so much more sense to me frankly like having spent several days in New Orleans I'm like this is a town that A loves its ghosts which this book mentions but also is like ghostly this is a town 
of ghosts. New Orleans feels like a liminal space writ large and mm. painted in the carnival-esque. It's like anything is possible there. Yeah. In a way that like you go to New York and people are like, anything's possible mm. here, but it's not the same. No. It's like, no, anything is possible in yeah. New Orleans. Like, you know, people talk about it in terms of like the veil. Like the veil in New Orleans feels thinner than yeah. it does in other places. Yeah. And the only other places that I've felt that way have been like terrible spaces of trauma. Like I feel that way when I went to um, battlefields. Uh. They feel like, ooh, somebody could like really just like rise out of somewhere and come get me and be like, do you remember what happened in 1863? Do you think that comes from like a knowledge of historicity? Like you go to New Orleans, you see really old buildings, which mm. is not something that happens very often in the US. Mm. You go to New Orleans and you're surrounded by really old stuff mm-hmm. and really different looking stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you also have the knowledge that you're in New Orleans mm-hmm. and everyone is performing to you or presenting to you as if you are in New Orleans because mm-hmm. you are. Do you think that's why? Or, Isabeau, mm. do you believe in ghosts? This is a really great question. This is a critical question before we go any further with Anna Dressed in Blood. Do you believe in ghosts? Yes. And let me tell you why. Whoa! I got a hardline answer from you for the first time on the question of whether or not you believe in ghosts. You get hardline answers from me all the time. Here's the first time out. Did you think about waffling and then you're like, I just don't want to deal with the pushback? (laughs) No, it's like I understand in my rational mind that ghosts likely do not exist. I understand in my rational mind that my ability to perceive like an ectoplasm or like a soul echo, if a soul even exists, is deeply, deeply unscientific. However, Mm -hmm. there's some spooky shit that happens. And like, it can usually be explained. It's like the radiators kicking on or like, like squirrels in the wall. But like, I think it's interesting that you bring up historicity and like the idea that America's new. So it feels less ghostly. And I think that's true. But I think also living in Chicago, it's part of it. Like where it's like people present to you like this idea, especially when you wander around like the old parts of Chicago, like Old Town, or if you go to the Dryer House or just like old places in Chicago and like you walk by a building and like it has has a different frequency or a different tempo where it's like even like the suggestion it has like an affect or a personality yeah that is readable right or certainly perceivable perceivable is right and so it's like a lot of people have lived and died here in Chicago and a lot of people have lived and died in New Orleans which I think is why New Orleans has this sort of super effect when I was working and doing field research in uh, Missouri working on crayfish there were times that we'd be up at dawn wandering through fields and like these dry creek beds and I would get this like awful chill up your spine and I'd be like oh fuck what the fuck is this it's not the crayfish you know what I mean and it's like not my team of scientists dude and then like we'd walk down like further down the creek bed and suddenly there'd be like an undisclosed cemetery and it's like a family plot (gasps) or like especially in Missouri you'd find like slave plots Mm -hmm. unmarked graves then is it a coincidence that I had to crawl up my spine because I didn't know it was there it wasn't on the map and then yeah. we just like happened upon it on this like weird boot heel excursion where we're trying to count crayfish. It's like, yeah. you can't explain that yeah. yet. You sense it. Yeah. Before you even see it. Like, so like, explain that, scientists. It's up to you, y'all. So I do believe in ghosts for all those reasons that I can't explain yet feel sort of silly about. Mm. Do you believe in ghosts? Yes. Emphatically. No, like, I've had these experiences and there, this is... There is something going on in this world that we can describe as ghosts. What do you mean by that? I don't know if it's the fucking afterlife or anything like that, but energy mm. yields tangible results, kids. Mm. And bad places have bad energies mm. that can release bad results. I also think, like dragons, ghosts have contemporaneous cross-cultural meaning, like Every culture has mm. produced a kind of ghost yeah. and a kind of ghost story. Exactly. And I think like it's a deeply human experience or perception. Yeah. Yeah. Spirit. It has many meanings. Yeah, I believe in ghosts. I am afraid of ghosts. Yeah. 
yeah i don't want to meet one i just like i don't like whatever they're here for i just don't think like they get like it's not i don't think they're like who's super cool here (laughs) (laughs) can't get enough i'm just like i feel like something bad happened to you and i don't know how to help you and like you're just like a cold spot in my house i hate that i hate that the most where it's like cold spot the cold spots it's the worst especially if you're swimming and i know that that can be explained scientifically by like the different kinds of layers of water but like when i hit a cold spot and you go a little bit deeper and it's warmer i'm like that's that's not that's not science that's That's a ghost that's a dead person that's a water ghost that's a water ghost well this idea of like america and like a witch was drowned in this pond preventing ghostliness mm-hmm. I think perhaps like the super colonialist yeah right like the conceit of poltergeist is building a new development over a Native American burial ground yeah and you know a denial of the very deep history of the United States mm-hmm. the land of the United States mm-hmm. as we now know it but I think there's also something inherent in the energy here that almost like everything I think is heightened mm-hmm. in the US in a way. I think countries where stuff is heightened, mm-hmm. you should not be surprised to find ghosts. Hmm. Or what we would term ghosts, but could be any number of things. Hmm. That's interesting. I guess there's like an energy presence because like when I've traveled in places that are not the US, even if the ghosts feel like they're there it feels like different like yeah like fairies or like whatever that energy is like the yeah. ghosts aren't like vengeful or like upset they're just like we've been here for like 500 years <laughs> just doing what we do and i'm like ghosts i get you well i'm glad we're both agreed on the ghost front it's tell us to be if you believe in ghosts and tell us your specific ghost stories on our twitter we are at mance underscore whoa we cannot wait to hear your deeply personal experiences direct experiences with the afterlife double points if you've had sex with a ghost by oh the way. my god yes i would definitely like to know if you have had a corporeal pleasurable physical reaction to a ghost that uh, uh, you could describe as a sex act listen mm-hmm. brass tacks anna dressed in blood mm. what's the deal with this book what do you mean what's the deal with this book is it a romance whoa i don't know if i'm ready for that okay let's back it up a bit is it a teen romance it is definitely a ya novel yeah ya stands for young adult sure does just like me and isabel still beginning our adulthoods always burgeoning finding ourselves Mm. so yeah i could relate to these characters a lot i was like these are cool people saying interesting things who care about good stuff and have nice opinions just kidding the narrator was an asshole yeah so it's entirely in first person and Cass is a boy our boy hero our boy hero Cass, whose dad is dead ghost boy dealing with a lot there he's trying to protect his mom who he's sort of strangely dismissive of and like her entire wiccan practice that is keeping body and soul together. Yeah. Uh, not pun intended, but also pun intended. I'm also putting bacon on the table. That's what I mean. Like, it's her candles and her potpourri everywhere, whatever, that is keeping food in that fridge and, like, paying the rent. So, and like, helping them move every time he wants to go a ghost murdering. She's a very supportive mother. And his dismissive, like, I have to protect my mom's feelings, so I'm not going to tell her that I'm having these really bad dreams or that I'm going after the most powerful ghost in North America. Like, fuck you Cass your mom can handle it her husband's dead yeah you're like the worst but okay so I would get really frustrated Mm -hmm. and mad at at this character yeah at her narrator I mean he says some bogus shit yeah he says some really not good shit especially about his friends buckle up buttercups first of all he is dismisses of saskatoon jam which is the best jam mm. he's like give me grape instead mom saskatoon sounds gross yeah i'm like mm, you've lived a lot of places you should be a little more adventurous his mom asks him if he wants to be a trojan or a tiger and this wit of the century replies now what's this about condoms or tigers lol mom she probably <laughs> didn't get the joke she obviously doesn't have sex and hasn't since my dad yeah, died. died was bitten to death by a ghost <laughs> he got bit to death he sure did he sure did but then okay get this so everything's from his own perspective he locates the queen bee mm-hmm. of the school yes he penetrates her tiny inner circle which is just four other girls so Carmel, Queen Bee, calls out to him in the lunchroom. And this is what our hero, Cass, responds. Ten or so other girls probably just developed instantaneous crushes on me because they see that Carmel likes me. Or so the sociologist in my brain says. It's not me. 
it's a sociologist in my brain. I'm actually very humble. And the reason that we know that is because we don't learn until a third of the way through the book. He's like, I'm classically attractive with curly hair and no acne. But like, I just look in the mirror every day and I just see myself. Yeah, he is absolutely the worst. And at first I was like, God, this hero sucks. And I was like, no, this hero is a teen boy and just a very correctly written teenage boy. He is a picky eater. Yes. God, there is no trait I like less in a person than picky eater. I would go ahead and say ditto because like I think it proves like a lack of adventurous spirit and also like snobbery. Maybe. Just like an inability to like imagine other futures. Yeah. Closed mindedness and snobbery. Exactly. I don't even know if it's snobbery because like they eat fucking chicken nuggets. They they act like they're above Mm. the pate. Yeah. I'm like shut up. Or like the sushi in this case. Yeah. That's the secret behind picky eaters. They think that they are better than the sushi. Here's the thing about the sushi. Hadrell. He does say that in the book. Here's the thing about sushi and Thunder Bay, though. So Thunder Bay, if I want to orient you a little bit, y'all, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, how do you know so much about Thunder Bay, Canada? I've driven through it twice. My neighbors growing up had a cabin in Canada. And the way to get to rural Canada is through Thunder Bay if you live in Wisconsin. And so, like, that's where I want to put you. Thunder Bay is in Ottawa, which is between Wisconsin and Michigan on the upper part of Lake Superior. It is not a bustling metropolis. Maybe don't trust the sushi of Thunder Bay. It only has like 150,000 people living there. It's like an industrial place. It's not like Toronto. It's not like (laughs) Quebec. Like, it's like Northern Duluth. Okay? Like, everyone's like, Thunder Bay! And I was like, Thunder Bay? Anyway, for our listeners, I wanted to put that on the map for Mm. you. Yeah, so he's like the worst teen. But here's the thing. He's the worst teen, but then Carmel is the coolest teen. Yeah, she's super legit. She's the queen bee, but she's also like smart and generous and considerate and uh, open-minded and has a real can-do attitude. Carmel was my favorite character. Whoa. Hold on, second favorite character. My favorite character was Anna's mom. <gasps> hot take. This is super hot take, y'all. Guys, she wasn't really my favorite I character. Think so no one can like that character. Here's why this is a hot take. Because as they are trying to defeat Anna. I think it's really important that we mention the first time we meet Anna, he's been hit over the head by the shitty high school football team and they've thrown him into the house where they expect him to either die or be murdered and Anna rips a boy, Mike Anderson, in half. Yeah, and then his bowels fall out onto the floor. And his eye circles. This book is incredibly gory. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I picked it. Yeah, it's real I heard it was gory and I was like, how's a book gory? It is. It is. So they have to diffuse Anna's power in the Mm -hmm. way that they do that is casting a circle and then they want to uncover the source of her power so they have her through like a looking bowl of water. Yeah, it's like essentially... I've seen it in Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, so I can confirm it is a It's a scry, is yeah, what they call it's it. it's a scry. So they scry, and they look in the bowl of water, and then they're all having like a shared psychic experience so they can all watch it like TV. Anna lives in a boarding house with her mother, and her mom is in a relationship with a man who keeps coming on to Anna pretty hard, an old dirty man. And uh, one of the boarders in the house is a immigrant from Spain and she has sewn Anna a special dress for the school dance because Anna has a secret boyfriend. She's going to meet him at the school dance. It's a white mini dress because this is the 60s, right? 1950s. 1950s. So it's like a T-length midi. It's sleeveless. That's why it's controversial. Mm -hmm. So she comes downstairs and her mom's like, take that off. You can't leave the house. You little whore. Yeah. Anna refuses and then her mother implies that her suitor can take her upstairs to teach her a lesson mm-hmm. in her bedroom. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen. Anna fights him off and then her mother stabs her. Gets a knife from the kitchen while Anna is grappling with her would-be rapist. Yeah, and stabs Anna. Stabs her own daughter. Several times killing Anna. And then she instructs her would-be husband to go and like get something to clean it up with. Get a different dress. Yeah, get a different dress. And And she takes the dress off of Anna, gets some black candles out of a cupboard and does a spell Mm -hmm. where she summons a Nordic demon to bind Anna's soul to the house Mm -hmm. so that she can never leave. And then she stabs Anna's dress 
between some floorboards. And, and then the dress and the knife disappear into the house. And Anna's soul is essentially trapped. Like the spell is you will never leave the house. Right. And you are also beholden to this demon. And right. So that's why she kills indiscriminately. It's also why she's so powerful. Yeah. And so she kills like drifters and stuff and it like supplants the power of the house or whatever. Yeah. She's been killing people for 50 years. They're like yeah. corpses all over her basement. Yeah. She can like summon the corpses, the ghosts of the corpses, and they're like carved up bodies to do stuff. And she can like flood the house. I mean, like if you're going to be a ghost, you might as well be a super powerful ghost. She does do some really terrifying booze. And one of the things about this book that was like so affecting to me and my brain pan was like Cash shows up because he's falling in love with her because he senses like her deep, dark drama, which is like, like, I'm so into that. I also have deep, dark drama. My dad's dead. What is it? What do I like about you? I don't understand why I like you. I don't understand why you won't kill me. God, I hate that goth guy in New Orleans. He's a real drip. Not like me. Awesome guy. No acne. No acne. (laughs) So he like keeps showing up to her house to talk to her. And one of the things that's terrifying about Anna is that sometimes she presents to Cass as the girl in the beautiful dress and like Mm -hmm. the nice little headband and like whatever 1950s beautiful dark haired girl. Susie Q. Susie Q. Other times when she like presents, he describes her as the dark goddess and like black veins roll up her face and her eyes become inkwells and like you can feel like the power just like tremoring off of her. her hair starts snaking around. Yeah, like snakes, like Medusa. There's a real... But you can tell he's still horny for that one. He's even more horny for that one. He calls her the goddess. Yeah. It's like the goddess and the virgin is the thing. Yeah, it's like very problematic dichotomy. Yes. A femininity. Yeah, where it's like the vulnerable one I want to protect slash the one that I want to submit to. Mm-hmm. Like it never gets into like virgin whore, which is fine. But like there's like... But it does. Yeah, there are shades of that. And uh, I'm willing to forgive this book for so much shit like that because I'm like, yeah, this teenager is an idiot. Like that's exactly how he's going to understand the world. Yeah, he he dumb. But if you go through like 13 schools in six years... But uh, he still has the grades to get into college. Barely. He's not even gonna go to college and I'm like you can fight a lot of ghosts in college bro yeah hell yeah so he's not that great I agree he's kind of a snob he's super dismissive of his mom which we've talked about which I really don't like so here's something I thought his mom and Thomas's uncle were gonna end up together Marfans Marfans that's not his real name listeners but that's what we call him because his name is so weird yeah we don't know how to pronounce it Marfians right and he's also tall and bearded and maybe has Marfans he's a, he's a hippie yeah he's an old hippie he's like I pictured him as like a Jerry Garcia that's also how I pictured him and like maybe owned a motorcycle he runs an antique shop where he also does witchcraft and like knows about witch stuff yeah and I could tell he was like one of those antique shop owners which I love so I'm very familiar with this type where you go in and you're like, ah, very cool rug. How much for it? And they're like, you don't want that. And they basically run their antique shop as a giant storage facility for their hoarder tendencies. Right. But his hoarder tendencies also align with the occult. Yeah, exactly. Which would be an antique shop I would definitely want to buy stuff at. Def. And they would definitely tell me no. Anyways, so his mom creates special essential oil candles and potpourri and he calls her a kitchen witch. Mm-hmm. And she performs certain rituals and he is super dismissive of it. Here's the thing about the mom that I actually do want to get a little bit into and the cat in particular. Mm. So mom has a cat whose tail is broken. My cat has a broken tail. I immediately thought of corduroy. But what's special about (laughs) cats is also, and he describes it in the first few chapters, it's like cats are like children and that they can sense and see ghosts when adults can't see them. And I think there's something there about like a sexual awakening that somehow makes you less able to see ghosts or whatever. I don't know. Like there's something about being a toddler and being a cat and like whatever. I don't know how they're being Just linked. Just a willingness to be believe in stuff. Sure. And take things at face value rather than but dismiss the f- them. The, the fact that you can see them. So the reason why they got this cat is because they moved into this house when his dad was still alive and they were on the stairs moving their boxes in and Cass feels a motherly touch move him to the side and then suddenly his mother is thrown down the stairs by this ghost who was thrown down the stairs for becoming pregnant. Mm -hmm. And so suddenly this book stakes 
feel very strange. And I want to talk specifically about the ghost. But before I do that, like the cat. Mm. So the cat is constantly motherfucking telling this kid that there is something in the house. Like that cat is doing its job. And he's so dismissive of the cat whose entire job it is to warn him that there is something nefarious in the house. I'm like, you got the cat for one and only reason. The cat is literally waking you up in the night to tell you something. The cat is doing its job, Cass. Yeah, Cass. Why, why are you, you fucking not listening years? to the cat? Yeah. And he's like, oh, the cat's agitated by the raccoon in the attic. And I'm like, is it though? Is it? Has is this- it a raccoon? It's clearly not a raccoon if you've bought it's the also cat. like a specially trained cat. Like his mom like sends the cat into the house to do preliminary investigation. Right. So that she can set her warding spells, which are also very strong. She's not just a kitchen witch. She's not doing this for shits and giggles. Yeah, she fucking knocks it out of the park. Yeah. Whenever they do the final boss battle in this book. Yeah. So I'm like, whatever, Cass, you kind of suck at this team building thing, but also very typical of teen dudes. And he's like, I'm a lone wolf. That's the other thing. And he's like, I don't like to work with these other guys. And he's like, no, I guess I need friends. I just, I want him to die alone. (laughs) (laughs) So harsh. Which, by the end of the book, seems super plausible. Sure does. Sure Holy does. shit. I would give anything for a novella just about Thomas and Carmel's perspective throughout this novel. I would also buy and read that. Oh my God, because they've fallen low. So Thomas is the geek who's being raised by Marfans, the antique shop owner, <laughs> and Carmel is the queen bee. And listeners, they form an attachment. And Thomas is like really jealous of Cass. And he's like because Carmel immediately takes a shine to him and Cass is always like don't worry bud I'll let you have her oh god it's so gross yeah Cass is unlikable in all the ways that I think like Holden Caulfield is unlikable except I don't know why Cass thinks his dick is so big also he's literally never had sex he makes out with the ghost on the porch which is also strange the way in which ghosts take corporeal form in this book are very strange to me yeah and Um, I also didn't understand the rules like so after they discover what's giving Anna her power they pull up the floorboards they destroy the knife and the dress and suddenly she is able to control her mega power like she has control over what happens yeah control over whether or not she murders people and she can also leave the house and she can also yeah. turn on the dark goddess stuff and I was like I don't understand the rules that seems crazy well she's just gonna be like a normal teen now that like everyone can see and touch but what's weird about that move in particular for me because like yeah I think that's a question that I have but like not everybody can see ghosts or you can only see ghosts if you've seen somebody murdered is that a rule it seems like that's to me because like Carmel couldn't immediately see her until and like Will couldn't see her until Mike died that was not made clear in the text because Mike died eyes yeah, in and the first, like, also, 50 pages. Very quickly, I mean, there's no way of telling because he he dies immediately mm-hmm. before anyone else is in the house. But Will and Chase and Thomas all saw because Will and Chase were on the porch and Thomas was pulling Cass out. Yeah, so what about Carmel? I don't know. I think she can't see Anna until they perform the binding spell, but that's not clear in the text. The text is not clear about we're who can see what. We're just making guesses here. Yeah. yeah, I don't know the rules. and like, it, But at the beginning of the book, they make a thing about how Thomas can see the old woman in the cemetery ghost. Mm-hmm. But Tom- Thomas is also psychic and his grandfather's a witch. Yeah, so he can see ghosts, but then like everyone else in the book can see Anna. Is it just because Anna super powerful that could be i don't know but we then don't know it's like what's the deal here the rules are not clear what are the give me the rules if you want to create stakes just give me rules i hear that i hear that really hard and that's one of the things that was really difficult for me about this book and its gore was that i ended up feeling sorry for 90 percent of the ghosts and i was like who's this cavalier who's this cavalier ghost killer james dean yeah and he's like murdering them with his father's blood knife that he doesn't know where it comes from and, and he also like, doesn't know if he's the only one who can use it which turns out he's not and right. he's like well I'm the only one who can give a killing blow and it's like are you liar <laughs> but in particular like this book I think began asking really interesting questions and it mm-hmm. started for me with the ghost of the mom who'd been thrown down the stairs by her husband because he didn't want her to be pregnant and then she throws people down the stairs but the crux ghost for me was the police officer and <gasps> trained 
train ghost. Yeah, the rail worker. Okay, so Will wants proof that Cass can actually kill a ghost. So Cass is like, all right, well, I'm not going to kill Anna first because I need to like work up my mojo. So show me where other ghosts are. And they take him and to also, this. So he's just like super nervous. He's super, he's not going to kill her. Let's he be real. He wants to see if he can round third. Yeah. And then he'll, then he'll well, see Maybe probably not her. though because he definitely wants to get that She deed. has specifically requested that he kill her. She's like, please kill me. Because she's being tortured. Yeah. She's like, I'm ready for this to be over. He's like, mm, I don't want to though. Let's touch tongues first and see how we uh, feel. Let's afterwards. touch other parts too. So they take him to the industrial district of Thunder Bay. LOL. <laughs> they find this place and they come up the stairs and they find a ghost. Ghost. And it's this guy crouched on the floor muttering to himself. So what happened was a rail worker took his girlfriend hostage. And his daughter. And his daughter. Unsurprising because keep in mind everyone who votes, men with guns are the highest risk Two women besides heart disease. Also intimate partners. Yeah, specifically intimate partners. Yeah. So if the heart disease doesn't get you... It's your intimate partner. It's your intimate partner. Anyway, so he takes them hostage. The police officer is the hostage negotiator. A rail worker kills the cop and himself. Yeah. So rumors are circulating that there is the ghost of the cop in this apartment. And every once in a while, he'll scream out the window, get out of here. Yeah, he'll scream at kids who are like biking the wrong way down the lane. Like yeah. he's still very much in cop mode, like but trying it, to like, I, it, serve and protect. But there's scary. something protective going right. on. They go into the apartment mm-hmm. and they see a single figure mm-hmm. ghost crouched in the corner. And over the course of their interaction with him, they discover that the rail worker and the police officer, their shared trauma has merged them into a single ghost. And the police officer is still oppressing the rail worker from committing ghost murder. Yeah. So then their fight. So he's like chopping off multiple hands. It's like, and then they grow. And then like the rail worker's hand would grow. Right. It's double. And the idea that they're like making each other crazy Uh in this shared form was terrifying. And it did feel like a mercy to like kill this torture entity. Yeah, but then the book is like, is it a mercy? Because he doesn't actually know what happens to the ghosts after he re-kills them. Right. And like that becomes a central problem of the book. But also like yeah. one of the things that this we book We discover is, where the ghosts are going. And it's not good. It's not good, y'all. One of the things that I think this book did really well is like it was a series of really spooky tales. Mm. And that was really cool. And like good urban legends. Yes. This was a book curating urban legends in a way that felt nice. Mm-hmm. Like I was appropriately <clears throat> Oh my spooked. God. The first ghost that he kills is a hitchhiker from the 50s, like a greaser. Mm-hmm. And so he has to get a really cool old car mm-hmm. to try and convince this ghost to hitch with him. And as he's in the car, he knows like, once I cross this bridge, the ghost will transform and attempt to kill me. I know this. He's going to jerk the wheel and try to get the car to go into the river and then we'll both drown or whatever. But over the course of his drive with the ghost, he discovers exactly what happened to the ghost. He got picked up when he was hitchhiking. He was excited to see his girlfriend. He was going to propose and he mentions casually that he has been working all summer and he saved up $500 in cash and it's in his new leather jacket. And so what happens is the person who picked him up murders him for his money. money. And so he never gets home to his girl. Yeah. And like the ghost is like humming the song that would have been on the radio yeah. whenever he initially got picked up and he's just like full of life. And then he gets to the bridge and the ghost like freaks out and reaches for the wheel and he stabs him and he dies. The ghost re-dies. Yeah, it's actually very traumatic. Like yeah. the way in which the murdering of the other ghost is really it's traumatic a- is like this is a scary book, but also it's like dealing with questions of like what right do you have to the kind of justice that you're serving? Yeah, exactly. Like what is this justice? And then we immediately find out from our really cavalier teen protagonist that he doesn't actually know what's going to happen to this ghost after he sends it away. He's like, it's whatever. The ghost it's is not, a murderer. It's not my I, job to decide where they go or even ask the question. Yeah, And exactly. I was like, fuck you. Yeah. And it's like, sure, this ghost has murdered humans in revenge or something like it. But this idea of like the ghosts remember mm-hmm. and recognize their situation and understand how they got there and then they're filled with rage and they commit murder and that's typically the impetus behind 
what they do. Yeah. So this book was really spooky. I like, I think it worked really well on that level. It was like a curation of really great urban legends made me really terrified to venture back to Thunder Bay as a, an adult. But there's also this thing that happens. He does discover where his knife has been sending people. So after his father's murder, a really powerful spirit has attached itself to his knife and is eating those ghosts and taking on their energies. And this spirit has been leading him to Thunder Bay because he wants Anna's energy energy spirit and you want to talk about what this ghost is so this is my weirdest part not only has Cass been ignoring the warnings of the cat whose one and only job is to fucking warn him (laughs) which I'm very upset about but the introduction of our first and only minority character presumably presumably stated is through the introduction of the big bad. All this time we've understood Anna to be the big bad, but it turns out she's not. And there's this creature called the Obia. Obia. Obia, which is a West African kind of voodoo. The- so I looked it up mm-hmm. and this particular religion mm-hmm. is not necessarily a religion. It's a series of practices, but mm-hmm. it originates in slaves from West Africa. Right. So the Western continent. So it's found in the American South. South and mm-hmm. Jamaica and those colonized places where right. slavery was prevalent. Indeed. And this ghost is tricked out in dreads. This ghost can unhinge its jaw like a snake. This ghost's gray skin is darker than other ghosts and has <laughs> a deep accent. In fact, there's a part in the book where she describes it as like a Jamaican accent. He specifically says Jamaican accent. The ghost's eyelids are sewn shut, which is something we associate with voodoo. Right. Also very terrifying. Um, Cultural speaking. Yeah. Very, very I I think you can. And I was like, ooh, I don't know that we want to do that. Yeah. Well, like in his initial dialogue, they do it phonetically. And then it's like, and he continued in his Jamaican accent. And then they just continue to write it normally, which is like, did you feel uncomfortable writing? Because maybe if you felt uncomfortable writing it, maybe you just shouldn't have. Yeah, maybe you just shouldn't have. Maybe you shouldn't have. And so like the thing that was distressing to me, because it becomes really clear, like the foreshadowing in this book is not subtle. So the fact that Cass has had a a series of very traumatic dreams where like there's an oppressive presence in his dreams that he's beginning to associate with guilt. Mm -hmm. And it's like he hasn't killed Anna. His subconscious is bothering him. But really it's this ghost that's always been in their house because it's attached to his father's knife. He constantly has dreams of like a lizard-like creature over his bed and then the cat... Touching him. Touching him and breathing on him. And then the cat like wakes wakes him him up. up. And so I'm like fucking listen to your cat. And the cat is like in the attic. Yeah. I Do you want to talk about that when we first meet the ghost? I want to talk about because I want to say the way we meet the ghost is very good. It's so terrifying listeners. Like even talking about it now I'm getting goosebumps. So what happens is he finds his friends chewed on and he realizes it's the same ghost goes home to inform his mother. And then the missing knife that Will had taken from him appears appears in his bed. He's in his bed and he's like oh shit the call is coming from inside the house and then you hear the attic stairs descend descend and all this ghost does is walk down the attic stairs and he looks like he's got a snake entwined in his fingers and you're like besides the fact that his eyelids are sewn shut that's like the ghostiest shit then it turns out that's the cat's tail and he'd just eaten the cat in the attic also fuck you protect your cat better you assholes like your cat like literally just wanted to save you I was not into the that part of it. The of the book is the cat. I agree. And what's really intense about that scene is like he has left Anna in the car outside. And that this is where we learn that his mother is so powerful because Anna cannot get inside because of the spell of yeah, warding that mom put down. powerful ghost can't get inside. And the reason the cat wasn't like, there's a ghost in here, is because the ghost was attached to the knife. And then he walks inside and his mom puts up the warding spell. So the ghost's like, I'm going to be in the attic. Yep, I'm going to be here. I'm going to like eat teenagers when I'm not here, but I can and, walk uh, in and out whenever I want. a drifter and they think Anna's doing it. Yeah, it's not Anna. It's like, whatever. I didn't like that part either. But like my weirdest part was like this badly done deal with race. Yeah. And it wouldn't have been hard to make any one of these characters indigenous. I thought, it was, I thought the big bad, because you realize it's not Anna. Mm-hmm. You realize there's something else going on. I thought it was going to be his dad's friend in England. I did too. He was a really good red herring. I definitely expected 
expected there to be something nefarious with that guy and kind of a missed opportunity because like this voodoo guy this obaya really comes out of nowhere and like as I said earlier in the podcast like a reverse Ducias Machia where it's like it can't be Anna because we fall in love with her and it's like not her fault that she's killed all these kids and yeah. we have an emotional attachment to her and now she's our heroine right so it has to be something else let's make it this guy and we'll sew his eyelids shut and we'll make him eat the cool cat and then we'll make him eat others and he'll have been the murderer of dad we want it to be tied to New Orleans somehow so mm-hmm. or I guess it was Baton Rouge in a plantation home. so not great it's like yeah a- like I'm sure this Obia man had his reasons but we are never given his mm-hmm. reasons which feels unfair because all of the other ghosts are like given their backstory totally and all we have is this is like a flesh eating power hungry ghost yeah and like all that's left of this entity is just the thirst and hunger for power and it's taken on a physicality in the flesh eating which is special and different and more evil we're led to understand yeah. than other kinds of ghosts who will just kill you yeah I think it's a real drag I want to know more about this super interesting character who is so powerful he doesn't feel the need to make a grand entrance also he's just gonna shuffle down the attic stairs and that's the entrance also that moment felt so cinematic so scary very scary he's a good baddie you know he would have been outstanding in Buffy or like anywhere else like he feels very cinematic like there are pieces of him that like are truly terrifying his own eyelids and all that other stuff but like the thing that I found most distressing is like he didn't have to be the only black character it's too bad that he's also the biggest bad that then wants to eat the he's virginal he's the biggest bad who's white. given no backstory no backstory but also the fact that he wants to consume the very white Scandinavian immigrant girl it's a lot yeah the optics <laughs> are not great and like that was too bad because like Anna does her really cool scary goddess thing and like consumes the big bad and takes him to hell with her she opens up a hell mouth in her own house and like pulls him with her and like this moment of great sacrifice yeah. which we can get into if you want we will get into it because it's important yeah, it is important and like that was just like it felt like unnecessary in that way where it's like there's literally no counterbalance to this and also like you've given every other ghost a tragic backstory you can't spend two paragraphs telling me why this Obaya Obia man has this turn I mean I can imagine it for myself and it's pretty fucking dark yeah but you like went into detail about Anna also you went into detail about that fucking kid who was hitching wanting to see his girl brings me to my weirdest part Mm -hmm. if I may be so bold why did we need to make it a thing that her future stepdad wanted to rape her and that the mom knew about it why does rape always have to be an impetus for female heroes who becomes super strong. Why is rape always the go-to? Oh, and then Cass figures out that that's going to happen. It makes him so mad that he wants to protect her. And then what is this thing with like wanting to protect something? Like that's so... He's filled with <sighs> a furious rage on her behalf. Yeah, because of rape. He like, should have been just filled be... with, her, with a furious rage on her behalf because she was a, a young teenage girl about to go into the 60s where everyone was going to tell her that free love was about liberating her, but really it was not. You know, there's lots to get mad about why does it always have to be rape why is that the only thing oh it just bummed me out I was like really her mom sacrifices her and connects her soul to a demon and binds her to a house why did the rape have to come into it yeah it's bad enough that mom doesn't want you to grow up and leave that's enough yeah oh and she doesn't actually get raped Mm-mm. she gets just threatened with it which sucks but she's why assaulted does, but why does rape have to come into it yeah I agree I felt like that was I don't want to say ham-fisted but like it is it's too much and it's like it's fucking unnecessary like Jodie Foster said a normal healthy relationship between a girl and her mother is enough motivation for most characters why does it have to be rape this was not a normal healthy relationship with her mother why couldn't that have been enough her mom casts out her kind loving mother figure why couldn't that have been enough literally it was enough yeah it was enough I just don't like that like it felt like a weird way of bringing sexuality into the forefront of her relationship with Cass. Also the darkest part of sexuality, right? Yes. So then it's like her only understanding of sexuality is her virginal white dress that she's going to wear to the dance to meet her secret boyfriend. Her attempted assaults and attempted rape by her mother's paramour. And then her burgeoning sexual awakening as a 50-year dead ghost with Cass. Yeah, on the porch. But I mean, we are led to understand that like her boyfriend was a really sweet kid and they probably 
kissed. Sure, but like it wasn't corporeal in the other ways. You know what I mean? Yeah, But this book is like honestly so devoid of sexuality. Yeah, it's clean. This is appropriate for kids who have not yet. Is it appropriate for kids? Mike Anderson is ripped in half in like the first 50 pages. His eyeball does circles. You and I have very different perceptions of appropriateness you said the scarlet letter was too intense for a 15 year old for me yeah exactly my feelings are too big i'm just putty (laughs) i felt so bad for everyone yeah everyone feels bad for everyone in the scarlet letter that doesn't mean it's inappropriate for your age range starship troopers was definitely appropriate for my age range then i don't know it's like it's then why would starship troopers be appropriate it becomes like a genre thing and i think like that's kind of what we're hitting Troopers is littered with nudity Oh, tons of it. How did you handle that? It was like part and parcel of the future. Like we would all just be naked and killing bugs. We would have co-ed locker rooms. Yeah, that's what we would do. I, I love under- Starship Troopers. But this is what I mean about genre, right? Where it's like, this is a very, very clean book. If you're worried about your kid thinking about blowjobs, this yeah. is the book for you. But if you're like if you're uncomfortable worried- <laughs> with your kid thinking about disembowelment, this is not the book for you. Yeah, which is also really interesting. So here's a weird question. What was was the sexiest part. I don't think this book was sexy. I think this book (laughs) was titillating. And like that special move of like to be scared is a kind of pleasure. Yeah. And this book was trading on that so well. So like that scene that we talked about where we first meet our big bad when he's coming down the stairs, that was incredibly titillating. Yeah. The scene of Mike Anderson's death is- You realize like, oh my God, people are going to really die in this book. Yeah, the stakes of this book are high. And like, the scene where he goes back where like anytime Anna becomes her dark goddess self but for me like in terms of like corporeal sensation yeah which is how I'm gonna term it because this book is not sexy yeah the scene that he comes back to the house after Mike is dead and she's trying to scare him away uh-huh. and she shows him her corpses yeah as like the gift of her guilt yeah that was deeply physically affecting yeah that was pretty gross it was gross it was scary it it was like everything. It was sticky. It was such a sticky Ooh. scene. Like the blood is like congealed and like the way some of the corpses creak. This is such a sound heavy book. It's very good. The scary stuff in this book is scary. Yeah. So I guess what I really want to know is what got closest to being sexy for you in this book? I mean, there are only two scenes of any kind of physical intimacy between Anna and Cass. Well, I'll volunteer mine. Okay. Cass, our narrator, has just finished macking on our ghost on the porch. And he's like feeling kind of lonely and bummed. And he wants to reconnect with his friend Thomas. And then he goes upstairs a little bit and he realizes Thomas and Carmel are sitting in a room together and they're just talking. And that took me back to a very special more innocent time in my life when you would just be talking to a boy and you'd be sitting cross-legged maybe your knees were touching you are just talking quietly and how charged that could feel. Yeah, that's nice. And Cass realizes he's about to walk in on something like that so he goes back down the stairs slowly and then acts like he's doing Thomas a fucking favor mm. instead of just being a decent person. Yeah. That got the closest to being a sexy part of the book for me because it was just like warm fuzzies. I think this book did a really great job of capturing what it's like to be a teenager. Like, I would put Kendra Blake on par with Joss Whedon's third season of Buffy. Like, this felt like an excellent encapsulation. Like, But if it, you want sexy stuff, you should watch the third season of Buffy. Or the second season. Or any season. Really, that's very sexy. <laughs> the, the moment with Thomas when he's, like, so clearly eating his heart out for Carmel in, like, the back of the car. And, like, Cass just looks into the rear view mirror and just can see it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I see you. It was very good. Yeah. I love the teen stuff, but like in terms of like sensorial, like this book was for me all about those gore moments. My kingdom for a novella about Thomas and Carmel's Mm. perspective, like a real switching perspective between the male and the female classic romance. Give me 110 pages there, Kinder, on that topic. 
Oh, for sure. Also, like, cannot stress this enough. Carmel is, like, written for us in the very beginning as a very much Regina George. Turns out she's, like, a fucking badass. She carries an aluminum bat. She's got no special powers. She's not a psychic. She doesn't carry a blooded knife from her dead father. But she brings what she's got. And what she's got is gumption. Yeah, she's got, like, a normal, healthy relationship with her parents and with her community. And she's, like, popular for all the right reasons. Mm -hmm. She has a hard time with her girlfriends after she witnesses a boy being ripped in half but it's gonna be hard you guys have different perspectives i also super appreciated that this book was never dismissive outside of our dude being dismissive of his mom all of the female characters like carmel is never talking down about her girlfriends she's like it's just hard for me to connect with them right now yeah that's a really good point and it's like yeah it is hard to connect with them right now sometimes that's hard it doesn't mean you're smarter or cooler than they are carmel is the best written female character I think we've encountered on this podcast. Hard disagree. (laughs) No, I think she's a really great teen. I think it's nice that she's the best ancillary female character. Sure. I'll go ahead and give you that one. She's the best ancillary character, female character that we've been given. She's a delight. Every time I read her, she made me feel good in the best way. You know, it's been a while since I've had that feeling of, oh yeah, like this is good. And like, it does matter how women are portrayed in media because it's just lately, it's always been waves of disappointment. Dude. But Carmel just felt so good. It made me feel so good. Anyways, Carmel is the best. Team Carmel. And I like that she like, you know, fought against the immediacy of Cass's casting of her. Yeah, she did. She resisted it. Immediately. And I mean, he uses her. Yeah. Throughout the book. But she has agency. She shows up when she wants to show up. And she shows up with the tools that she has at hand. And she's like, I don't have whatever y'all have, but like, I'm here to do the work. There's a point where she shows up and she's like, we're actually going to do homework. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because we have to fucking go to class. Yeah, she actually does a homework in this book. <laughs> yeah, which seems kind of crazy. Yeah, it's crazy to say out loud. Like, I can't remember the last time I saw or read a teen character actually doing homework and prioritizing homework. Yeah, because she wanted to keep part of her life normal, which felt like so real. Yeah, she comes to Cass's house under the guise of bringing his biology homework. No, she's really bringing his biology homework. They're biology partners. Yeah. They need to go to the library and work on this. And so Cass is forced to assign Thomas <laughs> to research the ghost. God, I love that part. It was really good. It was well written. And it doesn't make a thing out of it. No, and other than the the turns of this like curation of like urban legends which we've talked about as being so good, like the turns in this book plot point wise are really smooth. There was never a moment where I was like, "Uh, uh, where are we? We just shifted into third and I thought we were in first. Like all the plot points developed in a way that were like really unfolding and natural to the story even though I hated Cass as a narrator. By the end I was like, this is exactly what a teenage boy would do or say or think. And I really liked it. So here's a critical question. Is this a romance? No. It doesn't have a happily ever after. I found this book on a blog about romance novels. And they, they don't like, lie to you, Morgan. I feel well as a romance. What am I? You're not a novice neophyte. anymore. Mm, I'll give you neophyte. As a romance neophyte, I don't understand why a happily ever after is the critical point of these books. It is. That's like the hill that everyone in romance is going to die That's on. That's the hill that everyone in romance is going to die on. Perhaps someday I will write why I think it's not the right hill to die on. Fascinating. But there is not a happily ever after. Our girl goes down to the hell mouth and then it does a very to be continued. We're going to get her back, guys. Yeah, type thing at the end. But yeah, there's not the traditional happily ever after. I think perhaps this is not a romance novel for lots of other things. I don't think the relationship between Cass and Anna as a romantic relationship is all that central. I think the fact that they are foils is interesting, but I don't think that's the central relationship in this book. The romance of it. Especially since she has literally asked him to kill her because she cannot live with her omnipresent guilt of having murdered against her own will. Yeah. And so perhaps we can understand it as a happily ever after, but not a romance novel happily ever after Mm. because they don't end up together. I think it could be understood as a happily ever after because she sacrifices herself and feels like she has made up for some of the cruelty that she was forced to enact. She was forced to enact and she really dies, hopefully, which is what she wanted. And she also lives in the 
comfort of knowing that she helped out her friend Cass, which could be, you know, whatever. She's a ghost. I guess that's a pretty good ending for a ghost. One that's virginal, yeah. Dare we say a happily ever after for a ghost? Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. This it didn't have any kind of an ATA. It definitely had a cliffhanger. Yeah. We're going to go get her, guys. And like, it's enough of a cliffhanger and I liked the book enough that I would definitely get the next one from the library. Yeah, I don't I feel kind of bad that we're talking about it on this podcast because I think it fails as a romance novel in yeah. so many ways. It's fascinating to me because like you found it on the blog, but I mean, Cassandra Clare, who writes YA romance, called it spellbinding and romantic. And I'm like, it's not that romantic though. It has a real page turner. It is a real page turner. It's perfect for October. And I think everyone should read it. It's very good. It's not a romance. Yeah, I guess I would say it's just a whoa. Yeah, it's like, oh, whoa. But not a woman. God, I guess I'm going to have to like confront the happily ever after hangups I have at some point. I think you should because I will go down with that ship. I just think it's a narrow definition. Of Mm-mm. No, 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 no. I've got answers for all of that. I got all of that. That we should consider. And I just think like. Nope. We can talk about it again. Sexuality and pleasure. Is it's like that's a lot. It's taking nope. something as seriously. Don't worry. We got it. And I think that maybe that's nope. more important. Nope. <laughs> you either need to speak up with your mouth hole or you need to like fucking come at me. I just think maybe. <laughs> no. We should consider the fact that there no. are. Oh, you're like, you cannot do it. This is not how this conversation is going to go down. We can schedule an HEA off for this podcast. We'll need to prepare some note cards. That's a great idea. Listeners, you can provide us with note cards. I guess. All right. Well, with that, I think we've exhausted. We've said everything that can possibly be said about Anna Dressed in Blood by Kinder Blake. And uh, I think you should read it. Go check it out from your library. Hey, teens. Hope you like hanging out the library. You know, take a take a breather from posting Cole Sprouse gifts on the tumblers and uh, go read Anna Dressed in Blood and imagine Cole Sprouse as our as our hero. Mm, on that note, losing your stays, but never your principles. Mwah. Mwah. Whoa, indeed. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Womance. All editing and music is done by Nick Gravelin. Our logo is by Mary Reichman. And our webmistress is Jane Bonzak. They're the best. Feeling woeful about having to wait a whole week for more Womance? Well, cheer up, Buttercup. You can creep or connect with us on Instagram, Twitter, or our website. Our webpage is womancepod.com. If you prefer to be more verbose and or direct, why not send us an email? We're womancemail at gmail.com, and we can't wait to hear from you. In the meantime, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast listening app. Until next week. <laughs>